I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to episode five of ADHD Chatter. This week, I speak to a remarkable young woman called Sally Winter. Sally was only 25 years old when she sold her gin company for seven figures, only six months after starting the company. Wow, that's fast. However, with this huge success came a cost, and for the first time ever, Sally opens up about what really happened behind the scenes, from dealing with burnout, imposter syndrome, and low self-esteem. I learned a huge amount from Sally. She clearly knows how to manage her ADHD. This is going to be one of those episodes I'll listen to again and again and again. I'll let it speak for itself. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Hey, Sally. How are you? Hi, Alex. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on to ADHD Chatter. I think your story is fascinating and I think there's there's so many places that we could start. I like to always start at the beginning with my guests and ask them a similar question and that is, if I could speak to somebody who knew Sally as a as a child or at school or in your early years, what would they say Sally was like as a person? Um, I'd say that pretty much all my school reports were probably quite a stereotypical um, potential, but lacks focus. Um, and then probably in my later years, so age 14 upwards, it's just not here. <laughs> Could be doing well, but just not at school. Um, so that would probably sum it up. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, would you use the word daydreamer? <sighs> yeah, I think I would. Um, I was always thinking about other things or drawing in a pad and um I think I just uh, really struggled with um just the kind of boxed out curriculum that is like you do this then you learn that and like there's I think one of the things about my mind is I'm always burning I always want a reason and a justification for things (laughs) so when things felt pointless I just struggled like if someone couldn't convince me why I had to learn that thing um then yeah, I just wasn't on board, I think. And um, there wasn't a load of kind of pressure at home as well to kind of keep up with 
homework and things like that and exams. So, um, yeah, I kind of was allowed to get away with it to a degree, I think, as well. Mm. It's, it's super fascinating to me um, to, to ask this question. And what, what subjects were you strongest at and what subjects were you weakest at at school? I was just weakest at anything that took dedication, to be honest. So um, mm. sciences, maths, anything that I had to basically turn up and actually do the homework. I was the kind of one that I would just find a way to get around. So if I like there was a particularly strict maths teacher, I just arranged to copy someone's homework like an hour before to avoid <laughs> the shit and the wrath of this scary Russian maths teacher. But like to, to just be able to fly by and every time she'd write something bod on my homework which was benefit of doubt like i know you fucking copied this i know you're not doing well but you're just kind of getting that by and then um anything really where it was just non-traditional kind of uh you know away from stem subjects you know art dt um, and english particularly i think um i consider myself a good bullshitter it's i guess how i would describe it but I guess that's more, uh, to be a bit more detailed with it, it's probably like anticipating what I feel like I'm supposed to put down on the paper and kind of mm. be able to fly with imagination a bit and, yeah. What, Anything what I could funk, you... basically. And English was one. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's super interesting because, I mean, I, yeah, maths was something I, I was never good at. Um, I enjoyed creativity, like storytelling. Outside of school what 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 drew your attention what did get your attention outside of school i'd say i would was i guess i mean i was living in a really busy flat there was seven of us living here so lots of siblings there's always people in and out but um I, I guess uh i kind of kept to myself to a degree um i would get obsessed with films um, but when I got obsessed with like a film or a piece of music, I would listen to it on repeat. For example, music I would listen to on repeat for like a hundred times in a row when I'd hear like a song that I really, really uh, loved. And then I'd get this shout like, stop playing the same fucking song <laughs> again and again. <laughs> and then with like movies, definitely, I think movies were really, could really capture my imagination. So for example, especially with like more, I don't know. So Amelie would be one of kind of French um film the ind kind of independent feeling kind of quirky sounds and quite magical i guess um one of the other films i got absolutely obsessed with was beef vendetta and i don't know if you've mm. ever seen that film with Hugo oh yeah Lee. i've seen that um yeah i love it but absolutely captured my mind and um i there was like a uh, there's like a five minute speech where this guy only uses V words and I basically learnt the entirety of the speech. So that was kind of my <laughs> level of obsession. Like I would just mm. dream about it, I'd think about it and I'd just be totally captivated by a certain thing and it would just kind of take over my life, I guess, for a few weeks or, or months. Yeah, V for Vendetta is a brilliant film. Um, I have, I've seen it many times. The, I think that there'll be a lot of people relate to the listening to songs on repeat and getting obsessed with a particular film. I saw a viral bit of content a few weeks ago saying that sometimes people with ADHD listen to the same song over and over and over again. And, and I've certainly had comments in the past, just for example, when driving, that I don't reach out and broaden my music interests. And I, Eminem is like my 
guilty pleasure and I just have various songs of his on, on repeat all the time. Um, so yeah, super relatable, too, super relatable. I think there's like a lot of energy and emotion that are channeled and then that becomes like addictive, basically. And you want to like live that and relive that. And I feel like if you've got a racing mind, like you're in there, you're in the scene, like you're feeling like with Eminem, like you're, you know, toughing it out in a like dangerous area or this and that, or like you're really like living the lyrics or living in that mm. world. And yeah, I can totally relate to that. It's, it's like instant escapism. Mm. But in a way that again, yeah. like I never thought this wasn't just normal basically, because the mm. whole discovery of looking at the, uh, kind of symptoms or behavioral traits via the lens of ADHD is something that is really quite recent for me to be to be fair when did the idea that you might have ADHD when did that come into your sphere of consciousness and when did that become apparent I think like looking back it should have been obvious a lot earlier than it was um but probably not until the last six to nine months or something like that so um I uh, actually had come back from meeting a founder with ADHD and um, I went out to lunch with a friend um, who happens to be a medical professional and I was saying, oh, I met this guy and he's like, this is, he's struggling with this and that and blah, blah, blah. And he's gone through this process to have a ADHD diagnosis and now has medication and da, 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 da. And then the friend turned around to me and was like, yeah, you do realize you also have ADHD. Like this was someone that's known me for like, 10 15 years as well they were like oh without a doubt you display all those qualities and i was like what like immediately you're a bit defensive you're like i i don't think so <laughs> and then down the rabbit hole you go to i guess like that conversation then beyond like you start looking through that lens and going oh shit yeah oh oh shit yeah that oh okay that time when that, that obsessiveness that relentlessness that intensity that i've just thought was part of my unique personality, I guess, actually falls into this category in a way that I probably had never thought about before. I love your phrasing as well. Um, it's quite, you hear it quite often in, in terms of ADHD, people instantly go towards the negatives, but you then just said the qualities. Your, your friend said you show the qualities of, of ADHD. Um, so that was really refreshing, refreshing to hear. And I think, um, if, if anyone's listening and hears you, you you say that then it can be really reassuring um i think there's a lot of negative messaging around adhd out there um so i think that's really health healthy framing with the qualities of adhd it's it's clearly served you well in various aspects of your life where do you think it served you well I'm, I'm going to point towards the, the entrepreneurial and the business side. What aspects of it, of it do you think has assisted you in that area? I think um, certainly like the relentless determinism and for better or for worse, that thing of having an idea, thinking this is solid and then literally having to go and do it with any part of your life. For example, like doing a huge renovation on my house at the moment and um they took all the like basically the ceiling down and I could see through into the attic and I was like 
I loved like the light and the space. I was like, I have to have, I have to open up the ceilings. I have to do a, me- a mezzanine level, <laughs> like really. Yeah. So I'm doing this weird, like double height, little like ladder access reading nook in mm. the like ceiling bit with like a, a, a window. But yeah, um, so it's that kind of quality, I guess, of following through, but then equally mm. that kind of insane energy and hyperness, I guess, hyperactivity also means that once you lose interest or something, like it can just go as well. But for Mm. example, I think for me, entrepreneurship and I guess what I now regard as ADHD energy has 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 been 100 percent intertwined. When I had I wasn't that kid that grew up with what I regard as like, you know, I didn't know anyone that had a business. I didn't know what entrepreneur was when I, you know, this was literally a discovery in my early 20s. so really no influence at all. I remember Googling like what is an entrepreneur. Um, so I very much started out at the beginning and it was the idea and I guess that ADHD energy first that compelled me almost to go into it. So, mm. you know, everyone watching Dragon's Den or whatever, you, you have an idea and you say, like, oh, whatever they did it with this or that, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, usually those ideas go kind of nowhere or you think, oh, it wouldn't work because of so-and-so. But I had um, I had that for a bit, and then I had this one idea that I was just so obsessed with that it just consumed my entire mind, like a way I probably hadn't felt for quite a long time, probably since being in my teens and having those movies that would just consume my life and things like that. And um, I couldn't sleep, like just thinking about what this could be, probably like my just mind was like traveling and racing and... Um, I wasn't sleeping at all, just dreaming up, like, what would it be called? What did it look like? And I think a lot of that, like, that intensity also was because I felt like how the, I don't know anything about this world. Like, it was a food, that particular idea was a food app. And I was just, yeah, it was all consuming. And then after weeks of not sleeping, I thought, right, I need to do something about this. This is weird. This is consuming my life and my brain. And I felt almost like it was gnawing away at me because it was so intense. And um, that's when I decided, right, I need to do, I need to find people in this space. I need to understand what this would even look like. And a few weeks later, um, I saw an ad in the Evening Standard about a free Founders of the Future kind of like event, you know, it's kind of typical speaker day of speaking. I think it was the Camden Arts Centre, lots of different speakers and you could go along and listen and so on and so forth. And that's really where I think my entrepreneurial journey started because I felt finally, I, I sat down and I met people and I was like, holy shit, I'm not alone. I'm not just a, I'm not just a psycho. There's people like me, there's energies like, you know, I wouldn't say yeah, it's yeah. like within the normal range, but like there's people that think like me that have that kind of hyperactivity. Mm. And then actually off the back of that, I ended up winning a little contest that um, won me uh, basically a little competition on the back of the speaker booklet that was like win mentoring for four hours with one of these on like top business leaders or whatever. I Googled everyone and one of them was Brent Hoberman and um, founder of lastminute.com and kind of huge internet success. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I won that competition. Then I had the mentoring. So from my like, I know nothing about the space from idea to then finding my people and then having that kind of leg in of pitching my idea to someone huge in the business world was, I guess, like qu- quite rapid. <laughs> so mm. I think intensity, I guess, coming in a long winded way back to your question, intensity, <laughs> quality, I think can help you 
to just go from crazy polar opposites in in like a short space of time Mm, definitely and hearing you talk about that obsession and that energy reminds me of back in 2010 when I started uni lad so I can 100% relate to that you just become obsessed on this idea You, you don't sleep um and almost I don't know if you're the same but you sort of have this inability to worry about it not working I think it's a a massive yeah I mean it's 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 not an option for it to not work you Mm. I mean it might not work for you might be in the wrong place at the wrong time but when you're in that moment of obsession and you're staying up all night on your computer building it and researching it then in your mind it's not an option for it to fail um and i think that d- determination and like you said i suppose adhd energy is is a is a, n- a new phrase but i can definitely see it is is something that sets us apart and it's that absence of fear perhaps a lot of people won't start something because they're worried about putting themselves out there or they're worried about starting something and it not being a success but I don't know about you, but my mind's racing so fast and just so in in on it that that, that ability to have that thought process just doesn't crop up. Mm. And that's... It's like a compulsion. That's a thing. I feel like I'm almost controlled by that compulsive energy that like I'm not in control. Someone's just wheeling me forward like this has to happen. But in terms of, I think because I grew up with quite a low um, and have still battle with but um, kind of coming out on the other side a little bit of low self-esteem, I certainly un- unknowingly, I was hitting, so I was like, had all this energy, I had all this desire, I had all this obsession, but I was kind of hitting a wall with action. And it was actually only, so I was doing all the research. So this is like a little bit further down the line and I was researching for my gin business and I had this concept and it was going to be different and weird and it was not going to look nothing like a gin. And it was going to have the CBD infusion and all of this. And I was down the rabbit hole, you know, I was understanding the industry. I was calling up distilleries. I was getting my licenses in place. And then I just wasn't able to take that leap, that like start, like announce you're launching it or like, you know, and a friend, I uh, sat down with a friend who I met actually at that initial, very initial kind of uh, entrepreneurs event. Um, and he said, why haven't you started yet? And I said, oh, because I just need to do a bit more. Like, I just need to kind of get the market down to my plan. He's like, yeah, but why haven't you started yet? Like, it's been a while. And he said, are you scared? And I realized that actually there was this deep rooted fear inside me, which was intrinsically le- linked to my low self-esteem um that was paralyzing me basically so i think that was very liberating i think once you understand that there is something holding you back then you can start to tackle it basically but once you when you don't know it's there and your brain is very good at lying to you like i genuinely believe i've got more stuff to do it's not not the time yet to go ahead with it you know still in that research Mm. process so i think as my confidence is growing um that's far less of an issue but yeah it's funny how powerful that must have been because my mm. kind of energy and relentlessness was so strong but it was kind of at battleheads at that point you, you said you did stuff like you were contacting the distilleries i think you said and sorting out the licensing and then your friend said why haven't you started was it the sort of you didn't want to announce it i think was it was like the, the... yeah so basically with the gin there was like 10 months to obviously understand do the product design the the logo the liquid lots of trials but then it was like once you have a product 
largely it was in concept you know i hadn't produced a run i hadn't you know ordered the bottles ordered the labels this and that so it was like ready to go but needed that commitment i guess of mm. so most of everything was done basically without any money but the one thing i had to pay for was labels because my strategy to market without any funding as kind of a broke recent graduate was to essentially get pre-orders use pr for free marketing essentially to get pre-orders of the product and then use that to fund the first production run because the first production mm. run was like a few thousand basically so the only thing i had to shell out for was the labels but I think having grown up poor and like also just having this self-esteem issue for me putting down that money or like I had to put it on a credit card, a 0% credit card, but borrowing that, committing to that, that was the jump basically in my head. And then after that was done, I'm like, well, I, f I thought I'd fucking do it now. I've, I've, I've spent the money. Like I have to, I'm, yeah. I have no choice. I'm trapped. I've trapped myself. I have to move forward now. Like, um, but yeah, I think that was the thing I was probably at the time, like, uh, <laughs> I'll just wait later. <laughs> it's very difficult. Where do you think the low self-esteem came from? I mean, that's quite a deep question. <laughs> that is a deep um, question. <laughs> I, I think like probably a, a, a big mixture of things, but I think probably two key things would be growing up in quite a, a poor household, I guess, like not having a lot, um, having probably a strained uh, parental relationship, um, and the key thing I think was for me, my trajectory changed to a degree when I went, I got into a grammar school, um, first in my family to do so. And I was the only poor kid, basically. Um, I was one in three, four kids in the year that was on free school meals and everyone else was like privileged, middle class. And I like, this is probably just be one example of like in year seven, uh, like we had like a arranged, I don't know, my older sibling or something had arranged like uh, a birthday party, in, like a town hall or church hall nearby in, in kind of Tottenham with Green, which is where I grew up. And no one turned up because basically the area was too rough <laughs> for the middle class uh, darlings to attend this you know, rough area and birthday party. So they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, the area is not appropriate, blah, blah. So yeah, I was that kid, like, with a couple of my, like, brothers, friends and stuff there standing around. It was just an empty hall. Um, and that mm. was kind of devastating. So probably, yeah. <laughs> I think moments like that and then being quite isolated in the sense mm. of always being, I guess, the poor kid, the kid on the outskirts. And also just not having, I think, being in my own head a lot as well. Mm. And not wanting to blend enough. I just didn't want fake relationships, I think. So the concept of, I, tr I think I tried to fit in in things like primary school. I was really bullied very severely. So I was like, well, that doesn't work. And then I was like, why would I want to pretend to be someone else to fit into certain cliques? And there was a lot of cliques because it was a girl's school. When like the, what I'd get out of it at the end would just be having strangers around me who I had to pretend to be friends with. Like, what's the point of that? The way I always understood friendship from like popular culture was you know it's like that best friend someone you can tell anything to someone that's got your back you know someone that defends you like that just wasn't up for grabs so yeah mm. i think a mixture of things but that that probably gives like an overview i guess mm. yeah super interesting um i mean there's various things that 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 happen that 
you know, in my life that would probably lead to me thinking that I don't want to announce that I'm launching something new. Um, probably like a subconscious fear of, of people not turning up or not backing me. So when did you launch the CBD gin? So, um, yeah, about 11, 10, 11 months after having the idea. And um, it was September 20, no, September 2019. Um, but I say launched. I basically did a launch. I wrote this um, this LinkedIn post saying, uh, I've gone and done something mad and I've launched a, a gin brand and um, I've done it like from my bedroom, basically, with a small budget, blah, 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 blah. And that was honestly terrifying for me. Um, I think like posting on socials is like cold sweats for a lot of people. And that's 100% where I started off because I was like, I have no experience. Everyone's going to think, why the hell is she doing this? She's like, uh, she's like, you know, why do you deserve to be launching something you know nothing about? I wasn't in the drinks industry. I've never worked behind a bar. So yeah, massive imposter syndrome. But I think that's probably when I got hooked, like having such a, what I was expecting was nothing, <laughs> but having such a, I think the post maybe got like 16,000 impressions or something like that, which was huge considering I'd literally never posted on LinkedIn as far as I can remember. And um, just really supportive, um, you know, oh, wow, this is amazing. Well, I didn't think what I'd done was amazing. I just kind of worked through a lot of anxiety and obviously had this dream, but no self-confidence really. I just kind of had, had to see it through. I had to do it because I was so obsessed with the fact I thought it was a good idea and so on. So um, I think I built up from that. And then actually that first LinkedIn post, again, I think with self, low self-esteem as well, you never give yourself credit for things. So I just, I didn't realize that anything that I'd done was an achievement. I just thought, well, I've done nothing. I've just launched. It's not a big deal. But then off the back of that, I immediately got um, press. Uh, journalists reached out basically from one of the biggest trade magazines in the food and drink and went, oh, wow, this is amazing. You launched on just a thousand pounds. Like that's unheard of. Like we'd like to cover the story. And I was thinking, oh, is it? <laughs> I didn't know that. I just had to launch on a tiny mm. budget. So it basically took off from there. And then I kind of, I, I used press and also LinkedIn um, to kind of drive, I guess, the pre-sales. What I had was product photos, mm. but not the actual product. So in my product images, it was kind of basically the sam one sample bottle I had filled with water. And I did have the official label that I, I, I'd spent on the labels on a, on a kind of credit card. I'd taken the images at work, basically, because I was working as a producer so I borrowed the cameraman at the end of a shoot and was like can you just quickly <laughs> take some images <laughs> yeah. um and then yeah I used that to drive the, the the kind of production costs so I used that kind of get the cost of goods and get off the ground which was one of the biggest mm. hurdles to be fair was that big outlay for the cost of goods you said something really interesting a couple of minutes ago about the first time you posted I don't know if it was the first time you ever posted on LinkedIn but the first time you posted about the gin on LinkedIn and it was quite rightly so a very scary moment did you, did you get this feeling of you were really worried about someone criticizing you or someone writing a comment that wasn't fully supportive because if I was going to launch something and then make a public announcement that would be my big anxiety I don't know if I've honed down on it, you know, anxiety and fear and all of these things are so paralyzing that I don't know if I'd like fleshed out exactly. I guess I just thought that I just didn't deserve to be on there. I didn't deserve to be posting. I didn't deserve mm. to be doing anything. And just like people would immediately see that I wasn't credible somehow through the computer screen. And yeah, I guess, you know, comments were being like, oh, you know, this looks shit or 
Like I was very because as much as I was compelled by this the the weird look of the branding, I guess I was also quite very shy and kind of terrified to put it out there because I knew people would be like, "Oh, this looks weird. This looks shit. Mm. This looks different <laughs> in a bad way." And obviously, it was a, the, the amazing decision. I mean, well done for for making that step. And it sounds like you had done a lot of stuff behind the scenes, but it sounds like that was a real pivotal moment for you personally. And when you got that positive feedback, and then the the PR contacted you and wanted to run the story. Did the imposter syndrome get smaller or was it, did it get bigger uh, or was it stay the same? I think it's a, a probably a milestone of anything you do one time, it feels easier the next time. So certainly I think I'd t- taken some growth from that, some, a small bit of confidence, I suppose. Imposter syndrome probably didn't go down at that point. I mean, it was fucking weird seeing myself on an online yeah. article. I was like, <laughs> what is this? How did I end up here? Why am I on a screen? Like, what? Mm. Really hard to get your head around. Um, but yeah, no, imposter syndrome, I would say, did not go for a, lo- a long, long time. But again, I think the only thing that, put, that enables you to push through that is that intense hyperactive energy and obsession basically that just mm. goes right well, i have all these fears but it's happening it's going it has to happen can't do anything else mm. yeah definitely i mean that that's clear evidence there that you are worthy to be there when you see the engagement and then you get contacted by pr and they want to run the story because it is amazing to have that budget and to do what you did Apparently, I mean, I didn't know that at the time. I know that now. I think because the costs Mm. I was getting quoted were so high. But again, growing up with very, very little, I was like, I found it bizarre that people would pay twenty grand to have a label designed. I was like, what? This is crazy. This is weird. Mm. People should write about how weird this is because obviously, I'd just come out of uni. I had no experience in any real world. I mean, I was working a a bit. Kind of in this film space but on that no like real corporate experience certainly no experience of what design agencies were and how expensive they can be and so on so that's mm. what i thought was weird <laughs> but yeah no uh, it escalated really quickly as well and i think that momentum and still today linkedin and pr i'd say would be my kind of go-to's of of kind of getting traction getting validation growing like network has been really key for me i think because who you know as mm. well is very very important and being seen as well I think there'll be some people listening who hear you say these amazing things and they might think if I did that amount in such a short period of time or just did that amount, I would go through peaks and troughs and I would have the good times, but behind the scenes there might be burnout or other things that don't quite paint the everything's rosy picture. What happened behind the scenes that that maybe halted your momentum at times or held you back? I'm really glad you asked me this because um, this is always something I want to talk about, which is like you hear someone's story and you just think, oh, it was just A, B, C, D, E, and it just fell into place. And that's 100% never the way it goes. Like I say in the build-up phrase, phase, it was like insane ambition that would keep me up all night and then like crushing like I can't do this I'm never going to get to the where I want to be and yeah huge peaks and troughs and then so like the the journey that was like 10 11 months to from idea to launch was actually could have been half that time that was mired by just a lack of self-belief of 
like I guess being so stressed and having these huge shops where like I couldn't focus on anything I couldn't make decisions I couldn't move forward I had no momentum and I think that's that's still um a part you know it's still a part of my life now but much very much more uh, under control but at then mm. like it was it was crazy and I think obsessing over things so much as well like having an introduction then I didn't feel like I was ready and maybe I didn't have like a my business plan wasn't quite ready and someone had asked me to share it and so I wouldn't reply. And then I'd be like, oh, I can't reply now because it's been two weeks. And just these weird mind games when I think, especially when you're a solo entrepreneur and it was just me and the business doing everything and you're alone, that's amplified because it's just you and there's no one else to be like, look, this is okay. Like you can do this. Or like, I believe in you and not having that person to be like, I believe in you, you can do this. And probably having never had mm. that, that person. Um, it was, yeah, that made it a lot more difficult. And then I think after launch, again, just me, no money, no funding, um, huge burnout, huge burnout. I remember having a breakdown um, a few months after launch and just felt like I couldn't continue because it was just like the same, you know, they say like uh, anxiety and excitement, they're all the same receptors in the brain. And so... I had a mixture of those at all times. And I think once you're, once you're operating that, at that peak stress, which is supposed to be just at the moment that you're about to run away or kill a tiger, <laughs> like that's what that's supposed to be. <laughs> like, if you're operating at that 100% of the time, mm. eventually you just crack. And I had, yeah, probably one or two in the short space of, I had probably a breakdown even before I'd launched. Like that's how much it was consuming. I was living in it. It might think from the outside, oh, you're just getting something ready. No big deal. But in those 10, 11 months, I was going through all sorts of things in my head. And yeah, no, at least two periods where I, like, I just cried all day and all night, could not face, could not get out of bed, could not look at emails, couldn't do anything. <laughs> and it's amazing mm. thinking and so hard to convey as well that all of this is going inside your head. So it seems like from the outside, like, what is wrong with this person? Like, but yeah, I think, you know, mm. you'll probably know a bit about that to a degree as well. Like, I'm sure people can relate to, to being in that headspace and feeling like it's especially hard to convey why you are going through. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I spoke about this before in the other episodes. Yeah. My, my peaks were fun and my troths landed me in hospital through nearly drinking too much or definitely drinking too much and um I think it's really thank you for for being so open and, and for telling that side of the story because I think it, it is easy for people who have had some success to only post about the the positives and the, the, the tip of the iceberg and what obviously like we know that the, the reality is is often much more balanced and much more nuanced and and I think it'd be really helpful for people listening um to hear that it's there's the the good with the bad um because I think if, it, if it's just portrayed as 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 good on, on social media then that can have quite damaging effects on other people who might be experiencing the the normal yeah. it's side immensely of tough and I would actually not recommend doing what I would like to a degree not recommend having going doing it alone I think like having someone a mentor even someone that you have to bounce off or someone that gets your energy as well that's what I found particularly isolating is that people around you especially you know family or people whoever it is they don't get it what you're going through at all so you get the weird mm. looks and it's almost worse to have someone around you like that that so someone that kind of gets you or can go which is easier said than done by the way I, I wanted a mentor I wanted to find one but 
it's really difficult. And most people I contacted were like, yeah, for a fee. And I'd be like, I don't have a, f- I don't have a fee to give. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> yeah. When you were having those bad days and you felt that you just couldn't perhaps do anything that day, how did you... I'm going to say, how did you pull yourself out of it? But that's not necessarily the right thing to do. But how, what, did you do anything to ensure that those bad days were mitigated? And with the self-awareness you have now, is there any advice you could give for people when they're having those bad days to, to, to mitigate them and to, and, to, and to make them not last as long as they might otherwise? So it's something that, as I mentioned before, I'm much better kind of dealing with now and I think back then, probably the reason it was so bad and so extended and took me a long time to kind of recover from was beating yourself up. So, like, I would have a bad day and maybe that bad day would look like doing nothing. Like My mind was racing so much, I couldn't concentrate, I couldn't read, I couldn't work on whatever I was working on. And then maybe binge eating and then looking back at the day in the evening going, like, you're you've done fucking nothing, you're, you're a disgusting pig, and then probably drinking loads, and then doing the same the next day, and then it like would become many, many days, like a longer period. And now, I'd say very different, because I still have those bad days. Everyone has those bad days. I still have those troughs. Um, but right now, and what I've found is actually quite, re- quite recently probably has really helped me is being like, not every day can be a good day. Some days are just shit days and you're going to have them and that's okay. And being more kind to myself and just being like, that's, you know, you've worked your ass off. That's okay. And I think being able to say that to yourself also comes with more self-esteem, which I've certainly grown with in time. But that means that instead of like a four day bender, it will just be a day or half a day. And then I don't feel bad. I like forgive myself and just be like, that's fine. You need, you need days like this. You need days where you can just take the pressure off and just whatever you need on those days is fine. Mm. And that's been mm, transformational. Yeah. It's such good advice to have that, to not beat yourself up when you have these troughs. That ADHD energy is is powerful. And if you haven't necessarily got the self-awareness to know that if you go all in on that energy then it's gonna crash on the other side and actually to know that that's that does happen and when that does happen that you haven't done anything wrong mm-hmm. it's just a natural and response to the you can't no, fight you can't it fight well. it no it's like and you're you can't fight... a losing battle from the beginning so why like why try you're literally shafting yourself and then you're losing every time so mm. it's a, a non-goer and I like honestly this is easier to say than it is to implement because I probably heard this way, like years before I was able to implement it but once you crack it it's 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 massively it massively helps massively helps mm. no definitely and also it's 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 hard to fight I, I think impossible to fight the when you're in when you've got the ADHD energy and you're in that hyper focus and you're going in a thousand percent it's hard to pull yourself out of that or impossible to pull yourself out of that i recognize that i'm having that moment um and i'm working perhaps in an unhealthy way but it's impossible to pull yourself out of it i find do you find that when you have when you're in that adhd energy moment and you want to stay up all night and you want to spend all of your time obsessing on this particular thing that's got your interest 
do you find that it's impossible to pull yourself away or or with the self-awareness are you able to not act on that and know that that's going to cause me to crash in a day or two i haven't no i haven't cracked that bit but if i i think i'm controlling it and focusing that a lot more than um i've been able to in the past like in the past it's been like firing off everywhere and i'm not sure like the the adhd energy for me comes and goes it's pretty much like always there it's the crashes that were the probably the biggest problem and then also being able to filter it because i think that that obsessive that like relentless racing mind was so hard to funnel sometimes like it would be everywhere and i couldn't necessarily box that into clear like thoughts and actions and i'm getting much much better at that um but you know i think feeling like i'm much more under uh, in control now is also probably why um I am in two minds about whether to seek right now the formal diagnosis because when I've met, you know, I've met certain other people and they are really, really, really actively struggling, I feel like I am more in control, although I do think it's getting more intense as I get slightly older. Um, But I'm not seeking medication at the moment and I'm trying to use some of those qualities as a superpower um, for business, for example. And I don't know, I'm in, I'm in two minds a bit because I feel like, should I be wasting a place in the system if I don't feel like I need to? And also, would a diagnosis change my life, how I look at it? Certainly, I think discovering the why of a lot of my behaviours and quirks or whatever you want to call them or troughs. See, I don't even know if that helps me knowing this. <laughs> I don't mm. I don't know because I was just dealing with it as what I thought was part of my weird personality and sometimes you know trying to channel it towards good and trying to reduce the bad and but i i think for some people you know having that label having that understanding helps explain but for me having a formal diagnosis or knowing it is adhd it doesn't change anything fundamentally for me it doesn't change how i think about it how i react to it at the moment anyway Mm. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I got assessed and diagnosed, um, but it was a very, there wasn't a big conscious thought into into why I did that. And when I got the diagnosis and I got the bit of paper that said I have ADHD, there wasn't really like a big moment of clarity or understanding. Um, because like how did, yourself, how did it I, feel to have that bit of paper? I guess it's confirmation of, your suspicions if suspicions is the right word you feel validated it's proof of your theory on how your brain works so it was nice Hmm. and I'm glad I got it I'm like yourself not medicated and I don't intend to go down that road but you have the option with the diagnosis that you could if you needed it at some point Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've actually spoken just out of curiosity to, to, to my doctor and I, I, yeah, I, he suggested I go through the, the, the medical procedure to make sure that I'm uh, fit and healthy enough to start medication if I wanted to, but I have thought about it a fair bit and I'm at the moment just holding off. I've heard that it makes your brain quiet, which fucking terrifies me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I've heard loads of things. I've heard Lots of people say it changed their life. I've heard some people say that they 
took it and they and it was awful um i don't want to advocate either or for medication mm. because i don't know enough about it but i think for some for it can me be pers- incredible for sure but mm. i i i'm so scared because i just i mean i i think i'm lucky really lucky to be in a place where i feel like i'm managing and if i wasn't it's amazing to know that there are solutions out there but right now where i am at i feel like who i am is so intertwined with a lot of those qualities that i would lose that mm. i wouldn't know who i would be afterwards which i guess has always scared me with kind of medications around mental health and things like that it's interesting because i say i haven't medicated for medication i probably have I say I haven't medicated for ADHD. I probably have subconsciously medicated for AD. I, I probably drink too much caffeine. I've self-medicated with alcohol um, and other unhealthy forms of dopamine to, to to help me get by. So I have medicated, not the official route. Yeah. I've self-medicated in very unhealthy ways in the past. Mm. I mean, I, I run a lot. I exercise, but I, uh, that really helps me but i know that's not always helpful it's like if someone says to focus on your breath work if one more person tells me to focus on my breath work i don't know what I, what I, what would happen mm. but yes you know there's 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 things that work for some people and there's things that don't work for others have you, have you got yeah. any coping mechanisms things you do strategies that you you have always done or have started doing that you either did intentionally to help and to alleviate the pitfalls and to and to bring the strengths forward or maybe you just have done them subconsciously and now you have a understanding of ADHD you're like oh that's why I do this every day or is there anything you particularly you do yeah I'd say two things first would be um my inability to kind of go onto a platform like LinkedIn and then not go down the rabbit hole or like any of the social media platforms which are to be fair are literally engineered to to wipe out your focus of your brain and just take you down the rabbit hole with those kind of red symbols and things. So one for me, my my main platform is LinkedIn and that's very addictive to me. Like I'll go, I need to get a contact from within the messages and I'll open the app and then I'm gone. I don't know why I've gone there. I have to pull myself like, how did I, why am I on this? I have stuff to do. Like (laughs) actually a really big thing for me has been turning off notifications because it's that little Mm. red circle on the app. I can't, I can't stop myself from clicking on. So turning off Mm. notifications has been just incredibly useful for me. And then discovering focus mode as well on my phone. So if I need to get something done, like I actually need to sit down and try and focus. Um, Swiping down on my iPhone, clicking the focus mode basically just means no one, no text, no noise, no vibrations, nothing comes up on the screen, which honestly was life-changing for me in terms of productivity. And then on the other side of things, you mentioned exercise. Cycling for me is the only thing that could kind of make my brain go quiet in like a Mm. peaceful way because I can't physically be on my phone because I'm trying not to come off the bike or get hit by a car. (laughs) And then like the wind like rushes through your ears. So you can't actually like, especially if you're out on country roads, you can't hear much apart from wind and like maybe birdsong. It's just quiet. It just quiets your soul. So I found that is the one particular type of exercise that, and I think definitely you get this from things like running as well, but Mm. that's the only time when I've been having really bad episodes as well. But in the past where I've been able to get out of my bike and just feel 
I can get away from my own brain. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I always go back to exercise. I think it's it's just keeping your, your body moving and to keep doing something that doesn't really take that much mental energy. Um, I imagine cycling. Did you do like a marathon or something long? Yeah, yeah, a marathon. Just things that are, I mean, they sound like the hard work, but they don't take much mental energy. It's just cycling or, yeah, or you running. Can, you can almost zone off. I mean, there's, yeah, there's certain bits, but... Um... I mean, I also like cycling because I get to sit down. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you can kind of like, you can zone out essentially. Like there's things that you're just, you're like, if you're running or cycling and you're just, there's things that you do on autopilot and you can just get used mm. to that. And then your mind can just kind of, but it, I don't know, it takes the intensity out, I think, because your body's having to channel some of your energy into the physicality of that. So mm. um, I don't know how it works, but it definitely works for me. And then like meditation mm. and stuff never fucking worked for me. Like oh, med I've tried meditation a couple of times and it's, it's just a playground for my mind to go absolutely mm. ballistic. <laughs> like when you show your mind to be quiet, that's when it's like, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm the same. I've spoken to lots of people about me meditation. I've tried it. I've sat on the floor. I've done all the different, I've gone down the YouTube rabbit hole. And like you said, it's, I find it impossible to switch off and to, focus on nothing you like you said you try to focus on nothing and you, you suddenly you, you can't help yourself but focus on everything mm. like with going to sleep for example like often when i just I, want to focus like if i want to fall asleep that's when my mind goes absolutely ballistic mm. so just going back a bit when you saw the the newspaper articles because i saw you posted this on linkedin when you sold the gin business and you saw a big number did you have imposter syndrome then? 100%. So this sounds kind of crazy because I've been the, the only person in the business. I hadn't hired anyone. I'd literally gone from start and then the business had been acquired and it'd been just me. But I really struggled for probably well over six months to give myself any credit for that as well. I don't know. I just said, oh, well, it just must have been luck. Like I must have just... You know, I just got lucky because people don't really get that. You know, they don't really have that break of selling a business and or making a bit of money. You know, most startups fail. So I just thought, well, yeah, I worked really hard, but I was just lucky. And I had to over like six plus months. I kept like I could connect. I kept saying facts to myself like I actually had two acquisition offers within a few months of, of launching the, the gin brand. Like one is one thing but two that's two acquisition offers people don't even get one most of the time so I was like saying these facts to myself and trying to give myself credit but just couldn't connect with it so it took me a long time to actually go I mean first of all kind of luck is when what is it it's like opportunity meets preparation so I think connecting with that Seneca quote was like it's not luck okay I've put I've actually put myself in every every one of those scenarios I put myself out there the acquisition offers came because I found templates online and I've created a press release using those and then you know I, I you know I worked hard for it I was there I turned up I was visible all the time there's directly led to, to people going hi we'd like to make an offer we'd like to have a meeting but I think all this also links into the low self-esteem thing that took ages probably like a long time and still today I still don't have that what completeness completeness feeling I guess 
But um, yeah, a, a, a long time, basically. It took me a long time mm. to come to terms with that and go, you can pat yourself on the back. You are enough. You did what you wanted to do. And I think the whole journey of, of entrepreneurship for me also is feeling like I'm enough for myself. Like the thing I'm proud of the most is not having made lots of money. I'm proud of having put myself out there, having battled the fear, having grown in confidence and having got to a point of self-esteem where I feel like I'm worthy to be where I am most of the mm. time. No, absolutely. And it's, it's genuinely so impressive. After you sold the business and signed the paperwork, deal done, you left the room. How, how, how did you feel after that? Having gone from being super busy to, I guess, having at least in the short term, nothing to do? So, first of all, when uh, when I signed kind of the... Me so there was a long period of due diligence, about, well, about six months, which I don't think is that long in the acquisition phase, but due diligence. So there was this weird, first of all, awful period where I think, first of all, when I got the initial off, I didn't want to sell the business because I, I actually went on to a fundraising effort and I was never prepared to sell because I was, again, so obsessed and so kind of intertwined with this business I'd actually been on a huge journey with of kind of personal growth and when I did come round to it I was just like look I'll see where it goes it's probably never going to happen um so I kind of went through that period and then for, <laughs> for six months I was basically you know once you get your head around that idea like I will sell it and there's this opportunity because I was broke <laughs> and what I was potentially going to come out with was a life-changing amount of money I was I didn't know where to sit. I mean, imagine like, it's like going for a job interview and you don't know whether you really want the job, but you don't know whether you've got it or not. And it's that anticipation. You're always living on the edge of like, have I, haven't I? It's like maybe you see someone saying, oh, you've, you might have won the lottery, but you don't know whether you have. And we might just tell mm -hmm. you at any time. So that was honestly torture because I had kept like your mind, you know, your mind drifts. Like, what could I be? What could I be doing? What could I buy my dream house? So I'm like looking at houses on right. And then I was like, no, stop it. Because if you go down that rabbit hole of going, this is going to happen and then it doesn't, like, you know, that's a dark place to be. Very mm. dark place. So I kept saying, look, it's probably not going to happen. Probably not going to happen. Um, and then also when it did happen, a mixture of things, I guess, there's this thing that I, I didn't really know. It's like the separation anxiety, which is you're not in control. You know, you've sold your business. You are not in control of what, what happens with that brand, that business, etc. Um, but there wasn't really a lack of busyness per se, apart from this all happened in kind of lockdown ones and twos. So it was a weird time and it was all remote. But then um, I was working with the wider company. So it was a different kind of busy, I guess, and settling into an organization, um, albeit remotely, um, mm. that I'd probably never had before in my career, having gone into startups so early. I've got to ask the question as well. When, when the when you got the money and you weren't broke anymore because impulse spending is a, a is a is a big thing for me a is it for you and if it is what did you buy well first of all it didn't sink in like i did not connect with the 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 number in my bank account for a long time i just did i just didn't didn't know what to do so i just carried, like when i was uh, doing the business i was literally as tight as you could be i didn't buy coffees out I bought lunch from home. If I had to buy anything out, it'd be like a one pound boot sandwich, which I'm really sad they don't do anymore. Uh, <laughs> I walked everywhere. I ne I don't think I'd ever paid for a taxi in my like in my life. Basically, never bought an Uber, nothing like that. I'd let other people buy Ubers, but I'd never paid for anything. Um, and then 
yeah, that's probably the first weird thing I started doing. I just spent on Ubers all the time. Mm. I'd be like, oh, it's a 10 minute, oh, like 50, like not stupid ones, like five minutes, but I'd be like, oh, instead of walking or taking the sweaty tube, why don't I just book a taxi? Because like that to me, having grown up where I grew up as well, that felt like <laughs> the epitome of luxury living. Mm. And that was probably one of the main things was just buying taxis all the time. And then Uber Eats and food are just delivery food all the time instead of cooking, which was a really bad habit. And then I remembered I really liked walking places. So I eventually stopped that. Obviously the bill was very, very high. But then the big, the first big thing after obviously quite a while was buying the house. And mm. I kind of still, I'm what, like about two years post exit now. And I still don't really believe I'm living the life I am living. So the house where that I bought, you know, it's a townhouse. It's five minutes from the Thames. It's in Zone One, London. Like that doesn't happen for people like me. It's really weird, and I'll never stop appreciating it. And for that, I am grateful for my background because this is special. I appreciate life every single day. I appreciate the things I've had, and I will fight for them. And I will never stop getting bored. Whereas I know people that have grown up with with wealth where it's just meh, like everything's meh, like eh, eh, fancy holiday, oh, first class travel, oh, house, and you know, who cares? Like they're just not excited by life. And in that way, I think having grown up in the way I did, I, I'm, I'm grateful for having that, that, first of all, the ambition, the desire and the drive, but also to be able to actually be satisfied and grateful for where I am now. Yeah, no, super interesting and so relevant and so accurate as well. Thank you for for being so honest and sharing your story in such a vulnerable way just finally i suppose what's what, what's next for sally what's what, what are you what are you up to next well in typical adhd energy i have like seven <laughs> spinning plates right now um going through a 12 week like major building works on the house uh, recently launched the pr training for brands because that was so crucial for my journey and obviously repping the bootstrapper mentality which i'll never <laughs> stop giving up on by the way i'll always be a bootstrapper always counting the pennies um and then i'm looking at women's health for um, the next business so pretty much i just live in i live in startups i live and breathe them um but yeah that's that's my poison <laughs> yeah amazing on to the next thing so on, yeah, on is that adhd topics. energy coming back that's incredible where can people find you if they want to hear, hear more about you or follow you on any platforms i'd say linkedin is is um where i'm on the most and yeah that would probably be the choice linkedin perfect okay i'll put your name up on the screen here but thank you thanks again uh, sally honestly thanks it's so really much for having me alex genuinely fascinating and thanks for telling your story i think it's genuinely going to help a lot of people um yeah thank you so much i hope so all right bye hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.